You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. You're listening to BGN Radio with Brandon Lee Gowton and Jimmy Kemsky. What's going on, everybody? This is BGN Radio, episode number 178. I'm Jimmy Kempsey with phillyvoice.com. With me, as always, is Brandon Lee Gowden of Bleeding Green Nation. We have a lot to get to, actually, in this episode with the Eagles' signings of Jordan Howard and Eric Wilson, which happened a little while ago, but uh, it occurred after our last episode, so we'll get to that. We'll, of course, get to the uh, the athletic article from Bo Wolf, Shilkapadia, and uh, Zach Berman, uh, which you know has dominated uh, uh, Eagles headlines and news over the last week or so, over the last few days or so. And then, of course, we'll get to some draft talk uh, at the end of the episode. Brandon, Jimmy, how you doing, buddy? Jam-packed episode today. Uh, glad to be getting to it with you here. But before we get into everything and dive right in, I just want to say BGN Radio brought to you by Right to Sell and Craft Turkey. Go to RightToSellin.com. Use discount code BGN15 to get yourself some snacks. And also, if you're looking to get some treats for your pets, which I am assuming a lot of you have pets out there. Uh, Jimmy, before the show, uh, I told you I was going to do the WildNaturePet.com advertisement. And as soon as I did that, your dog, Charlie, barked. Is that true or not? It's absolutely true. He was excited about the wild nature. He, I bought a bag for him and, uh, I opened it up. Like when I, when I got that bag, as soon as I opened it up, he like ran over and was like, yo, give me treats, dude. Uh, so, uh, uh, he does indeed enjoy the wild nature dog snacks. So wildnaturepet.com, uh, whole food ingredients born from the love of our dogs in the outdoors. They are environmentally responsible and supercharged with healthy ingredients to give your companion the stamina they need. So get those again by going to wildnaturepet.com, and it's the same discount code as Right to Soundcraft Turkey. It's BGN15 for 15% off. It's actually interesting that you know it's – I didn't know that stamina played a part in that because uh, after I bought him that bag of treats – like I've been taking them for longer. Like he's been wanting to go for longer walks. Like normally I'd do like a one point one banger, which is basically just a a full loop around the the, the block. But we've been going on like one point six and like one point eight bangers more recently. So maybe there was something too. The uh, added stamina to. And he's an older dog, right? Yeah, he's like a, he's uh, he's ten. So okay, uh, yeah. that's good. So he's getting up there. All right. So the Eagles have well, the first thing most important I think is the Eagles have two new players. Okay, so they brought in linebacker Eric Wilson from the Minnesota Vikings, and of course, no new ideas. They <laughs> they bring back running back Jordan Howard most recently with the Eagles, who they uh, signed after he got released by the Dolphins during the 2020 season. So let's start with uh, the positive signing, which is Eric Wilson. Makes sense. He filled up the stat sheet last year. Uh, a lot of tackles has some pass rushing ability, has some coverage ability. I think the knock on him is he's not great against the run, even though he did have a lot of tackles. But he is actually one of the five, the top five players that you profiled as the Eagles being most likely to sign at yes. the beginning of free agency. So obviously uh, you do like this pick or this this pickup. I mean, I have the win right now in that game we played, unless the Eagles sign both Gary on Conley and Malik Hooker, right. or I guess one of them would be a tie for us, uh, which <laughs> no one really cares about. But, uh, I, you know, I thought he, but I put him on that list because I thought, you know, he made sense. Obviously, the connection to not only Jonathan Gannon, I think they overlapped in Minnesota for only one season, if I'm not mistaken, but then Nick Rallis, uh, you know, Wilson and him have been together longer. Eagles new linebacker coach, Nick Rallis, who's only like a year or so yeah. older than <laughs> Eric Wilson, which is, uh, kind of funny. Uh, it's kind of interesting to me because Eric Wilson reminds me of a Jim Schwartz prototype linebacker, right? Mm-hmm. Like former safety, yeah. good in coverage, undersized, not the best in, in, 
at tackling and in run support. So on the run thing, uh, worst run defense grade of any linebacker oh, last year by Pro Football that. Focus. You know, take <laughs> it for yeah. So pretty bad. Uh, I also wanted to contextualize that more in Pro Football References missed tackle mm-hmm. rate, which I, I know you like that stat, Jimmy. So twelve point two percent missed tackle rate for Eric Wilson last year. Was that better or worse than oh. Nate Gary? <laughs> See, Gary's problems last year were more in coverage. So I'm going to say hmm. I, I, the only reason you're asking is because it is worse than Gary. <laughs> you, you, you wouldn't have asked otherwise. Exactly. It was, exactly. Gary, for perspective, was only at 8.1, although in 2019, yeah. which he had a very bad tackling season, Nate Gary did, he was at 15.2. So Eric Wilson in between those two extremes of Nate Gary there. Um, but point being, you know, just certainly evidence points to him not being a great tackler. And again, that is logical when you look at, again, the size. Mm-hmm. He's 6'1", 230. It's actually the same exact height and weight that uh, Davion Taylor is listed at. Um, guys like, you know, Alex Singleton, TJ Edwards, Sean Bradley kind of check in the 240s, a little bit bigger guys. Um, but yeah, like you said, he filled up the stat sheet. 122 tackles, eight passes defense, three interceptions, one forced fumble. It's a one-year three deal. Um, what's it? 3.2 like three point, or something like that. Yeah. And only I think two point something is guaranteed. So it's uh, I, I'd say it's a good bet to me. It's a reasonable bet. I like the move. Yeah, good a good signing for sure. Uh, and they got him, you know, like what is it, like five or six weeks into free agency. So he sat on the market for a while. I think he probably thought I, I thought he would go sooner than he did too, uh, because you did mention him, and I hadn't even written about him because I thought he would go higher. I thought he was going to be too expensive for the Eagles, so they get him at a, at a reasonable deal. They put like, I mean, it's crazy how bad the Eagles cap situation is when you have to put dummy years on the back of a deal that's only like a little bit over three over three million dollars. But that's kind of where they are as an organization right now. But the signing's good. Uh, he joins, of course, um, T.J. Edwards and Alex Singleton in that linebacker corps. I would assume that he'll probably be a starter opposite uh, Alex Singleton, and then T.J. will be the guy that comes in on those obvious rundowns. Although we said the same thing when the Eagles signed Corey Nelson, probably said the Mm -hmm. same thing when they signed LJ Fort, Uh, same thing when they signed Zach Brown. And uh, obviously Fort went on to go to have success in Baltimore. But I mean, and he he did, he didn't last long. Nelson didn't even make the team. And I don't think Nelson or Brown really ever like did anything significant in the NFL again. Like they might've signed with a few teams, but they just, like they were done at that point. So, uh, so the Eagles tracker to linebacker, you know, not the best. So we'll see. We'll see if this is any better. Jordan Howard, um, his numbers with, uh, let me pull those up real quick, but his I numbers here. With, okay. With the, specifically with the Dolphins last year. Well, I have in his last 35 carries, he only has 60 rushing yards, which is 1.7 per carry. And he has one reception for negative three yards. And he fumbled on that reception, by the way. <laughs> but yeah, good so stuff with the Dolphins last year. Let me find that real quick. It's a minimum deal, by the way, or it's a it's a deal with no guaranteed money. Uh, I saw Dave Zangiero reported that today, so as expected, he carried twenty eight times for the Dolphins last year for thirty three yards, one point two yards per carry, and four touchdowns. So I think the thinking on him was that he was just strictly solely a short yardage running back. Uh, hence the low number, you know, hence you know the the extremely low yards per carry average. Uh, but last year after they signed him, you know, I, li- I actually compiled all of his touches uh, with the Dolphins, and um, he was not just a short yardage guy. So like 15 of his carries came on plays in which the Dolphins had at least four yards to go for a first down, meaning that like they weren't, it wasn't just to slam it into the line of scrimmage, try to get a yard or two for a first down. Like, so that that's kind of false. Like he, he wasn't, and then even as a short yardage back, he wasn't very effective in those, even though he did score the four touchdowns. So he carried 13 times in short yardage situations. And one, which by that, I mean like between one and three yards to go for a first down, he had eight yards. Eight yards on 13 carries in those situations and six first downs, which would also include uh, the four touchdowns. So he he got a first down or a touchdown on, on less than 50% of those opportunities. And then the Eagles signed him. He wasn't, you know, I think he got like seven carries for 20-something yards, I believe. Um, so it wasn't super impressive at the end of the season last year. In his press conference, he was surprised. Like he thought his career <laughs> might be over. So the Eagles signed him like, okay. I get that like they need that like they could use that kind of power back to complement, you know, like the more dynamic 
Miles Sanders and, and a guy like Boston Scott, who is, you know, more of like a pass catcher out of the backfield or whatever. So I, I get like wanting that kind of profile player, but you could like, you couldn't find something else. You couldn't find someone other than Jordan Howard. And I get that. Like also like, it's not a very strong running back class. Like, I think, I think there are a few guys that could maybe go round one or early in round two. And then beyond that, like it's pretty, it's pretty barren. Like there aren't like a lot of good running back prospects. So I understand like wanting to bring in, a veteran back just to get you through the season, but come on, like he couldn't, he couldn't find something you know better than Jordan Howard. So anyway, don't want to quibble too much over a veteran minimum deal because he may not even make the team. So uh, whatever it is, it is what it is. Of the two signings, you know, I, I think that obviously the Wilson signing makes more sense, and uh, overall, like I think that signing was fine. So I won't kill them too badly like we did with uh, with Joe Flacco <laughs> a couple a couple episodes ago. Yeah, the Howard thing is just kind of funny from the perspective of like there was top the Eagles could sign him to an extension or should back, you know, in like right. the middle of 2019 when he was looking good. And then he gets that injury. I think it was like a shoulder injury. And that was like a whole weird thing. Yeah, it was like a stinger. Yeah. But then like it took way longer for the first time ever. An Eagles injury right. took way longer than I expected. And then like he just basically didn't really play much at all again. And then he signs this decent deal with the Dolphins last year. And then it's just terrible. And he comes back to the Eagles, and he, I think he was fine when they used him. Nothing special. Um, so kind of weird how he has fallen off like that. Yeah, I think it's fine, whatever, uh, if there's no guaranteed money. My thing, because, um, you know, he's physical, uh, good in pass protection. The only thing I would say is, like, I would hope that the Eagles, you know, really just aren't guaranteeing him a roster spot. And if it comes down to, in training camp, like, him versus a UDFA, and they're, like, neck and neck, I would hope they would go with the UDFA. Because like that guy is you know on a right. cheaper contract and it's under team control for multiple years and you're probably right. not winning anything this year anyway. Like if this was an all in year, then you would keep Jordan Howard because he's the veteran. But like I would hope they kind of recognize their situation and kind of go the younger route. So that's that's to me kind of like the Andrew Adams signing is like the ideal outcome is that he doesn't make the team. Like he gets beat out by uh, late draft pick UDFA in training camp. But Jimmy, yeah. So I guess the the only thing left I guess for them to do. I mean, that, that, I mean, that sounds crazy because the roster is so bad from top to bottom. But the one obvious thing that they're, you know, that they could do before between now and the draft would be to sign a corner. And there aren't many of those like still kind of hanging around. Uh, they could certainly sign one after the draft, too, if they don't take one like really high. But I don't think we're going to see any other moves in free agency other than cornerback. Yeah, and they have to. I think they just have to add someone there like at some point, some kind of veteran. You just need a body in there at some point. Yeah. Um, Jimmy, you gave the Eagles an F for their free agency grade on phillyvoice.com, which caused right. a lot of people to be angry when I shared that. Is that right? I saw that on the on the, on the the uh, on the show sheet here. Yeah. But I didn't see that. So, like, most of the people in you know, my, the comment section of Philly Voice were like, yeah, no, that sounds about right. And then also on Twitter. So I, I was actually curious, like uh, – I shared it. You saw this this negativity on uh, Bleeding Green Nation for the link one morning. Okay. Uh, it was the lead thing, and yeah, a lot of people didn't get it. They're like, and and <laughs> not even just okay. that. Beyond that, there's some been some talk out there from various writers, radio conversation that actually Howie Roseman's having a good off season. So I want to get your take on those things. Yeah. Okay. So. Uh... I can't speak to the negative uh, reaction to to my to my F grade, but based on what, uh, as far as how he having a good offseason, based on what, what is like what 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 has he done that's been good? What, what's the what's the argument? I think it's that like, I think this is where the argument is. I think it's like given the constraints that the team is in, he's been like reasonable about it. Like he's added Anthony Harris. Which I think in a vacuum is a fine signing, and like right. Eric, like these are and Eric Wilson, I think those are yeah. fine signings. Um, I think they're they even lean closer to the side of smart than not smart. But like these aren't like impactful moves that are like you know setting the team up for long term success. And also, I think people are like you can't grade it on a curve. People like the fact that this team is in such bad cap situation, like that still counts into the grade. Like, right. You don't just take that out of it. I think people are like taking right. that out. Yeah, like so, like if if like but that's... this were twenty six, if this were twenty sixteen, and Howie was returning from the bunker, 
to take over to retake over, and he's trying to fix. Yeah, he's taking a over someone that, else's mess. Yeah, that somebody else you know created. And all right, yeah, it's, you know, I'm not going to give him an F, but like that factors into the off season that they're having. Like they had to get. They, I mean, at one point they were what like 60, 70 million over the cap, so they had to restructure a ton of contracts that are going to you know be. I mean, you have you're going to have a lot of dead money in 2022 and possibly beyond because of all these guys that they restructured, all these older players, and they had to out of necessity. So that's a huge part of the grade, like the the continuing yes. ruining of the, I mean, they had no other choice than to do it. But again, it's because they put themselves in that situation. And they like, the, is the team better now than it was before free agency started? Is it? I don't know. Like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> like, Not much better, if anything. Yeah, right. So it was, it's a teardown. And I get that, like, the Carson Wentz trade, I think like the return on that, like the, the what they actually got, like the the second rounder that can become a first and they a get third. a third this year for him. All right, I'm not giving any gold stars for that for like a complete organizational failure trading away a guy who is your franchise quarterback. You just gave you know a hundred and a hundred and you know forty million dollar deal to like not that long ago. Like I'm not giving him any. I'm not giving any kind of gold star for them trading away Carson Wentz. Like, it's ridiculous. So yeah, I don't, I don't understand the idea that Howie Roseman is having some kind of offset. And then you have all these reports coming out left and right, which we'll get to, of course. Uh, the athletic and then earlier in the off season, uh, Jeff McLean, like where the front office is just, you know, complete and total dysfunction. So I, like I, I, I the, the idea boggles my mind that he's having some kind of good off season. I think it's, I, don't even, I don't even talk about Joe Flacco, but <laughs> yeah. he won't beat that dead horse. But like, it's just like, I don't, I don't understand like how anyone could have the opinion that he's having a good off season because they haven't done anything. Like the team isn't better. What are you talking about? I think it goes back to what I was just saying. Like people are looking at it in the vacuum of only this off season, but you can't grade it like that. I think in a big reason why you gave them an F and I think it's an important distinction to make is that this is like cumulative. Like you were taking like the past mistakes factor right. into this off season. And that's why they get an F and it's like, it's, you can't just grade it in a vacuum. If you want to grade it in a vacuum and ignore all other context, then again, fine, whatever. I think it's above an F if you're just talking about like, – if you're only making a list of what they've done in free agency, like adding Eric Wilson, you know, adding Anthony Harris, uh, and like not handing out any bad deals or whatever. And then the Carson Wentz trade like being a fine return. Um, maybe you want to uh, factor in the trade down well, too. One, one thing I yeah, the one positive that I would say is the trade down right. from, from six to twelve. Like I thought that was a, a, I thought that was a good move. Like I, we've explained this, I've explained this on the podcast already. Like I don't think the talent difference between who you're going to get at six is so much different from the guy that you're going to get at twelve that you turn down a twenty twenty two draft pick, you know, for for that you know for that difference. So um, yeah, like I'm fine with the trade down, but <laughs> but again, like that's just not enough to. To kind of convince me that they like that they deserve anything other than an F. So moving on from that, I want to get to a rumor that we kind of touched on back when we were talking about the trade down, uh, why the Eagles traded down to number twelve, and it's Deshaun Watson. And obviously, talking about this at all feels weird, Jimmy, because right, you know, he's under he's facing like twenty lawsuits alleging sexual assault and or inappropriate conduct. Uh, it's really hard to discuss like the merits of trading for him when the legal mm. process needs to play out. I think both in fairness to Deshaun Watson and the alleged victims, uh, we're not trying to, you know, like take a side and like, you know, uh, you know, weigh in on that. But I think like it, we'd be remiss not to mention that this keeps being brought up. Like going back right. to March 17th, like I, I assembled this timeline for, for bleedinggreennation.com. March 17th, Jason Lock and Forrest says, do not discount the Eagles as a strong suitor for Deshaun Watson. Too many sources mm-hmm. and ties to ownership have whispered that sentiment uh, my way for me to ignore. And a lot of people at the time were like, oh, it's Jason Lock and Forrest. He doesn't know anything. But I mean, since <laughs> then, Jeff McLean said, quote, how he will give up everything he has for Watson, an NFL source familiar with the mm-hmm. Eagles thinking said. Then March 22nd, Houston Chronicle. Because uh, some of this earlier stuff was kind of right before all this Watson stuff came out, or it was like right as it was happening. But then, right. as it like keeps going, uh, the Houston Chronicle says the Eagles are among the teams that remain interested in Watson despite uncertainty moving forward. April 6th, several NFL teams, including the Eagles and the Dolphins, are monitoring the latest Watson legal developments, which have complicated any efforts to trade for him. April 9th, this was last Friday, Pro Football Talk, Mike Florio uh, is saying, like, there's one team to watch closely, uh, and it's the Eagles. 
Like even though they have Hertz and Flacco, uh, franchise quarterback, as one league source explains that the Eagles are sufficiently determined to upgrade the team that they would pursue Watson if the window opens for doing so. And then the last one here is Mike Fisher for Texans Daily. And I think it's important to note here, these are different sources. This is like. Right. Yeah. I was just going to say when you, when you, when you wrap this all up, you have, you have sources from Philly, national guys from Houston, yep. and you have a bunch of national guys. Uh, so like. You know, I, that's just interesting to me. And then, you know, he has a, a paragraph here, but basically said, like, uh, we don't think it's so impossible. Like, it's it's been talk that – and the optics of it make it, like, hard to believe a trade would happen. And Fisher also interestingly noted in his report – He's the Dallas guy, right? Yes. Mike Fisher? Yeah. yeah. Mostly so, Dallas, but he, he's Texas sources. Yeah. Right, right, right. And uh, so one thing he specifically mentioned was, like, the Eagles could actually keep Hurts and, like, he would be the quarterback – while Watson presumably could potentially be suspended, whether, you know, even if there's legal punishment <laughs> or not, uh, he'd be subject to the NFL's personal conduct policy. So I guess, like, what do you make of this? Because there's a I lot mean, of rumors smoke, out there. That's what I make of it. I mean, yeah. you, you went through the, there was a, how many, how many, like, if you, I, I assume you're looking at, Six. A, at something there. Six different things. Okay. Yep. So, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that constitutes smoke, you know? <laughs> so, like, like, I think there's certainly something to it. I think it'd be crazy to make some kind of, you know, acquisition for him before his legal situation plays out a little bit, unless the cost for him is driven so far down that you, I mean, it's worth the risk. It's worth taking a risk. So like, you know, we're talking about not we, you, me specifically, but the, the general, we we're talking about like how much would Deshaun Watson go for before anyone knew about any of his, legal issues like i'd seen it mentioned like five first round picks and it's not going to cost that anymore no like no matter what happens no matter how this plays out it's not going to be that anymore so would three first round picks do it like all three of their picks in 2022 probably would like if would would that be the cost right now no like it wouldn't be caught you wouldn't have to give up three first round picks to get that guy right now with his future so uncertain so yeah i don't think it's that crazy to to at least discuss you know, the possibility of, of him joining the Eagles. And I think what's sort of maybe we, we kind of talk about him as just like this possible acquisition, but I think what what gets lost in it is how good he is. Like he's so freaking good. Like he's, I do like, would you consider him like clearly a top five quarterback in this league? Top 10 at the very least. Yeah. I think he's like clearly top five. Mm-hmm. Like that that team stunk last year, Houston, obviously. But like you look at his, like, let me just do you have his numbers handy by any chance? I don't, but curious. like they are know th- really impressive. I know they're crazy good. And you know a big reason why they didn't amount to things was because like you know the team was obviously a disaster. Like poor coaching, the defense was like a, like just a, a train wreck. Right. Um, oh, here it is. Okay, so he he completed sixty two percent of his passes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. He completed 70.2% of his passes, over 70%, uh, 4,823 yards, uh, 33 touchdowns, seven interceptions, uh, quarterback rating of 112.4. Like that is crazy good. And then as a runner, what did he do? All right. 90 carries, 444 yards, uh, three touchdowns last season. So like that guy is awesome. And if you can land a guy like him again, assuming he's not radioactive, I can absolutely see why the Eagles would have strong interest. And I don't want to downplay, you know, the allegations at all. Like there's, it's, sure. there's the nature of the allegations are serious, incredibly serious. And we should all, you know, again, that's why the process needs to play out. And obviously um, even sometimes when the process does play out, we, there's always questions if justice is truly served and, you know, there's <laughs> right. a lot of evil in the world, just generally speaking, not to this specific case. So obviously, you know, all those, you know, disclaimers apply. Just want to put that out there. Um, Jimmy, why don't you sit right there? Why tell you about Right to Sell and Craft Jerky, which I already told you about at the beginning of the show, but let me tell you a little bit more about it. Uh, it's a great product. Helps by buying some Right to Sell and Craft Jerky, a high quality snack for yourself. You're helping support BGN Radio. You're helping support a local business. You're helping support yourself by getting yourself a good snack. So go to righttosellin.com. Go do that. Also, again, if you have a pet, and I know you do, I'm look, you know, they, they give us data on these podcasts. I can see that. you No, I'm just kidding. There's no actually way for me to tell if you have a pet, but I'm assuming you might. And if you do go to wildnaturepet.com and get yourself some snacks for your dog. So it's, it's really a good pairing because you get the righteous home craft jerky for yourself. You get the wildnaturepet.com 
for your dog. And you do that by going or using discount code BTN15 for 15% off for both. Do you have a pet, by the way? Not or yet. Did you have a pet like growing up? I did. I had a boxer named Rhiannon. Okay. She would love these treats. So. Yeah, Charlie, Butters, and Lily. Lily and Charlie have both made appearances on BGN Radio. Yes. We got to get we got to get Butters in on the act. I would love it. Jimmy. <laughs> Back after this. Back here on BGN Radio. Jimmy. Now, we're going to get into the flavor of the week. And I don't say that in a disparaging way. I feel like that's usually yeah, yeah, that's yeah. We don't we we don't mean it that way. It's a it's a serious <laughs> article, you know, well done, obviously, by as you mentioned, Zach Berman, Jill Capadia, and Bo Wolf for the Athletic, talking about the dysfunction going on in the Eagles. Definitely, obviously, if you haven't read it already, then you have to because it's really worth it. And did they make that available to everyone? Because the Athletic is behind the paywall. I, I don't but think I feel like so. Everyone saw it. Okay, but you know, sign up for it. It's it's worth it, Jimmy. What are your big takeaways? from this article i mean <laughs> there are a lot of choices <laughs> i mean they, they did what's get the into biggest a lot of things. one like so the biggest one for me is just would be jeffrey Lurie's uh increasingly over involvement in the draft like the the story the way that they put it was how he sort of puts his thumb on the scale quote unquote and i'll respectfully disagree with sort of that uh categorization of what's happening there. Cause I disagree that the idea that he's putting the thumb on the scale when he weighs in, because if he voices that he wants one player over another, there's no way how he isn't taking that guy. Like, so if Jeffrey Lurie wants a player, how he's taking him, like he's going to take him over anything that the coaches say or anything that the scouting department says, Lurie weighs in how he's taking that guy. So for me, and there's Charlie, by the way, it becomes he doesn't like more... he doesn't like that. <laughs> he doesn't like Jeffrey Lurie or or Jeffrey Lurie's weighing in on the draft. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So for me, that aspect of it becomes a lot more concerning when, you know, A, he increasingly puts his metaphorical thumb on the scale. And B, you know, how much his role expands beyond him being the quote unquote tiebreaker that the story alluded to at the end where uh, during Doug Peterson's initial press conference, they said like, well, what if there's, you know, sort of uh, who breaks the tie, right? Who breaks the tie and and Jeffrey Lurie raised his hand. So like, again, how often is he putting his thumb on the scale and how often does his role expand beyond being that tiebreaker? And we've seen that he has, I mean, there have been sort of mixed, I guess, reports on, how much more involved he's become over the last few years versus, you know, for example, 10, 15, 20 years ago. And I think it's very clear that he's become more involved over the last few years than he was in the past. And, uh, you know, again, for me, it just, it's just concerning on how much more that is going to accelerate as time goes on. Yeah, I guess along those lines, for me, the biggest, my biggest takeaway is just like the lack of true collaboration. You know, they, they talk about collaboration. Which they tout. Right. Collaboration, collaboration. No, it's not. It's really not. Or if it is, like, it's not effective. I, the way I think about it is like, there's so many decisions in this organization that are being made. Like, it's never, the process isn't clear. It's like, okay, the mm-hmm. coaching staff made the Jalen Rager pick, but then Carson Wentz is saving Frank Reich from being fired. But then, like, there's all these different, like, like people like getting their way at different times. And I guess like, if you want to say that's collaboration, I don't agree. It just feels like random and it feels like the power lines, like the structure isn't clearly defined. And I think that's kind of what leads to a lot of the frustration and dysfunction that we hear about here. And I think the biggest part, and she'll stress this, we had him on uh, the Oddcast this week on the SB Nation NFL show. I thought it was a really good appearance by him. And he really crystallized this for me is like not having basically that person in charge who like Lurie respects and trusts unequivocally. Yeah. I think Andy Reed was that for him. I think Andy mm-hmm. Reed was a guy like, I don't think maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm naive, but like when you're just saying there, like I don't, I don't think Lurie was coming in and forcing Andy Reed to do his bidding. Like I think Andy had the respect and the clout to, you know, to not be in that situation. And I don't think it's the same dynamic there with Howie. Um, also another thing is just like, how the Super Bowl success is viewed internally, which is like been a big, a huge, like maybe the biggest like talking point of BGN Radio. My biggest like 
frustration yeah, with the it's Eagles. Your, it's your big pet peeve. Yeah, yeah it's for like because sure. they view the Super Bowl success as like this great like uh, validation of their process and everything. Like they know what they're <laughs> right. doing. They're above reproach. When in reality, and not even just my opinion on this, literally in that article sourced like, how did we even win the Super Bowl? Like, like, like that's an internal talking point. Like they can't even believe right. it. It was, it was more about catching lightning in a bottle than it was of like the result of a highly functional work environment. And the last thing I'll say uh, is the Howie Boomerang effect. Like going from mm. being full of hubris, I think, which in part led to his ousting and and like motivated Chip. Like to want this guy out of here, I think, uh, to being humbled, genuinely humbled, and having a great you know stretch to set the Eagles up for success when he did, and they won the Super Bowl. He deserves credit for that. But then going immediately back to hubris, it's kind of like the story put it well, or the the source in the story put it well. It was like you know someone losing a bunch of weight and yeah. then putting it back on, or even even more some. on. Yeah, and, and then some. Yeah, yeah. So getting back to your collaboration point, I think that's just a fancy way of saying no one individual's accountable for for the for the bad moves that are made you know so like they they want to have that collaboration but at the same time that actually doesn't even exist and i don't even know that collaboration is really the the like i don't know if that's the uh, the idea of it is 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 sound and that you want to get perspectives from the analytics department you want to get perspectives from the coaching staff and and from the scouting department and you know, and of course the GM and, uh, you know, the top personnel people. And if the owner wants to weigh in too, fine. Like the the idea of that all sounds good on paper, but it doesn't actually work. And the story points to a lot, like the analytics nerds sort of like being uh, at odds with the coaches and the scouts. And then like other problems with, with um, you know, the, the structure internally, like they're micromanaging Doug, like the Packers example that they gave at the top of the story where, uh, in my opinion, that was the best win of the season for that, for them that year. It was year, a huge, they, crucial win. They, they were what one and two, I think, yep. and they go into that Thursday night game on, on the road, road against a really good team in Green Bay. And like, I don't think many people gave them much of a chance to win that game. And they ran it down their throats all night. And like, similarly to the way the Packers lost to, I mean, it wasn't as quite like this, but they were able, to, they had success on the ground. Much like the 49ers just ran it all day on them in the NFC Championship game that one year. Mm-hmm. And they found success that way and they won the game. And like reportedly, Doug has to answer for why he didn't throw more in that game. Like, are you kidding me? Like, if I'm Doug and it's Twitchy, like, and obviously, like, he took issue with that because otherwise it wouldn't have spread and gotten out that, like, that they were browbeating him over not throwing the ball more. I think, like, sometimes micromanaging of a head coach can be, like, fine when the head coach just isn't seeing things clearly, like when Doug wanted to bring back Mike Rowe and Carson Walsh, where when, you know, like in my opinion, it was pretty cut and dry that those guys had to move on and the owner sort of forced that on Doug. That's fine. But like to like have these Tuesday morning, you know, after the fact meetings, like nitpicking, like, you know, really good wins. I like, it's going to be, I think it's going to be hard to bring in a head coach that would be willing to deal with that. You know, if, 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 if you know, if they're, if they're looking for a new head coach down the line, like with this story out and, and, you know, similar stories that, that have come out as well. But like, as you mentioned, like there's so many things that you can, that you can take away from this story that are really alarming about the franchise as it, as it's run right now. And then, you know, just also sort of uh, the, the direction of, of the franchise going forward. On the the Doug point, like I don't think it's you know wrong for them to you know uh, debrief you know about like what they could do sure, better. Sure, of course, of course. Yeah, of course. and I don't think you said that either. I'm just saying like I want to make it clear like it's not like Doug is beyond reproach and they can't even talk. Mm-hmm. To, not saying that, but like clearly, and it, on on Birds with Friends, I think Shield had mentioned or, or one of the one of them had mentioned like that Packers game came up by like a lot of people. That wasn't just like. Doug mm-hmm. feeling bad about it and complaining and him putting that out there. They said like a lot of people pointed to that specific incident, what happened there as like a huge, a, a big, you know, thing, a big sticking point. So, and I mean, he even heard Larry say it himself 
with like Jim Schwartz after the Super Bowl. It's like, hey, we gave up a lot of points <laughs> right. there, right? Like he even right. admitted that. So yeah, yeah. And yeah. again, I think. But but what, what, well, sorry, I don't want to move off the like my one of my favorite press conference things of the last year was uh, I think I Les mentioned Bowen. this on the show already. One of the, Les Bowen was the one who asked that question, <laughs> or I, mean, I don't even think the question was about that. Like Laurie just volunteered that randomly that like yeah. after the Super Bowl he said to Jim Schwartz, "Well, you gave up a lot of points, yard, and less." You can hear him. Lori kept talking, so like you can't, like it wasn't super clear. But you hear Les just uh, while he's getting talked over, go, "Well, I'm sure he appreciated that." <laughs> <laughs> so, but I, to me, my my takeaway is that, and this is really on brand for me. So I know people aren't going to be like shocked by this, but but it's not about that to me. Like I just think this off season in general has been a lot of like, oh, Lori is actually to blame a lot for the Eagles, and I'm not going to say he shouldn't be getting heat. But I'm also going to say we shouldn't be taking it off Howie Roseman still because I still believe, I still maintain that like if Howie kind of almost had more like self-respect or more conviction, like and w- this is what it comes down to me. Does Howie care more about self-preservation or actually winning? And I think I think self-preservation can get weighed too much. And now it's easy for me to say that because I'm not the one you know in jeopardy of losing my job. But I think it's become too extreme. And I think it's clear that Howie's role, you know, as this. I mean, he's ultimately the guy who needs to be making collaboration happen effectively. Like, he needs to, like, collaboration is great and it should exist, but, like, there has to be a a person at the top who ultimately, you know, is, like, making that collaboration work healthily and then also making that final decision and making that final decision in a way which the collaborators feel good about it. And, like, even if, you know, like, they're not going to go with what the analytics say in one direction, then how he can explain, okay, guys, like this was good information. I appreciated, you know, you give this to me, but here's why we didn't do that. And it doesn't seem like that's being happening there. It seems like decisions get made and it's like, well, why did that get made? Like, like what's that? What's happening? And then that creates the dysfunction and the mistrust and uh, like all of the layers that have come out of this. Yeah, the, on the distrust point, the other thing that was like, like on the sort of like the minor point things, like them searching phones <laughs> for like, a schedule, searching like phone phone records and stuff, like it's it's crazy for a schedule, and week. then like, <laughs> right, it's crazy, and then there's like uh, other stuff like. Um, uh, they made note of like scouts and coaches, like they they said like who was involved in the draft process, like in the draft room, and there's you know five or six people, you know the obvious names like Lori Roseman, Andy Weidel, etc. And um, it says like scouts and, and coaches were watching at home, almost like WTF, like <laughs> like the rest of us were on days one and two when they took you know Rager. Hertz and, and Davion Taylor with those first three picks. So, you know, that, that, that was all sort of interesting to read too. And then the other thing too, is like them pushing, we, we all knew like this was going on. There's never any like um, specific reporting that they were doing this, but you know, certainly it's, it's, we all assume that Roseman pushes for, you know, his guys to, you know, get more playing time. And you know, the, 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 uh, the, the, the athletic article, uh, you know, essentially reported that he does that. And, and even Jeffrey Lurie, like during practice, um, sort of was lobbying for, for certain players to, to be playing more than they were. So like, that's not good either. Like you don't want that. Like for me, I getting back to like the, the thing that alarmed, that would alarm me the most is Jeffrey Lurie's, you know, I guess quote unquote love of the draft and um, his increasing involvement in that. But also like he, they shouldn't be meddling with the coaches saying who should be playing more. It's like, I understand that he's and Joe Banner, by the way, made a good point that really this, all this comes out of is Jeffrey Lurie's want to win. Sure. So I respect, I certainly respect that. And there are owners across the league and in other sports that that isn't maybe their their primary objective. Like their primary objective is to just keep making more and more billions of dollars. So I respect that, like he wants to win. But I think it's also to his detriment in that he thinks he knows how to win, uh, and he, maybe he doesn't. Like maybe maybe his his idea of like uh, becoming more involved in the in the day to day operations and and uh, filling of the roster and personnel decisions like that, um, he's probably better served not being invo- as involved as he is. I want to go back to something that I when I was talking to Joe Santa Liquido, your Philly Voice colleague, Jimmy. 
uh, back in February about Carson Wentz, one of the things we touched on was like, I asked him about Howie Roseman and he kind of like started talking about the organization as a whole uh, and how there are parallels there with the organization as a whole and Carson Wentz and his behavior. And basically like he kept bringing up Joe did now, but when when I say he kept bringing up, like they need a no guy, like how he needs a no guy. Like Lurie needs a no guy. Someone to tell them, no, Carson Wentz needed a no guy. Cause that's, that's one. I think that's one of the biggest problems. Like Howie Roseman is just a yes guy. He's a yes man. And to his credit in terms of like self-preservation, that's helped him. And again, it's easy for me to say, but I think when we're trying to look at the success in a healthy environment, I think you need a guy who can say no respectfully and be able to explain that and have the authority and conviction to do that. And I just, I don't know. That's what we see here now. Talking about this moving forward, Jimmy, not just like rehashing what has happened, you know, obviously kind of forecasting to the future. I want to say like the distinction of this report coming out is significant because you have a national reporter whose name is on it, like Seal, and obviously Bo and Zach very respected as well mm-hmm. in the local market. Um, in addition to and but it's just I just want to like make that distinction as opposed to just Jeff McLean, who also did a great job and deserves a lot of respect. Mm-hmm. But like he had that, you know, piece earlier this offseason. Um, so like, do you think this kind of report will actually prompt the Eagles to like reflect? I think the the way I heard, uh, Zach put it, you, you actually went on D guns podcast and he was like, the thing for him is like, are the Eagles going to be reflective or reactive to this, this report? And, you know, saying like reflective would be, you know, the more positive thing, like taking this and like, oh, we need to maybe make some changes or maybe the media is right. And they're not just out to get us and, or are they going to be reactive and be like, no, like they don't know what they're talking about. Well, I think the impact uh, coming from those three guys to the to, to the team is is going to be greater than it was when like McLean's piece piece came out, for example. And that's not a knock on McLean in any way. It's just McLean writes more of those kinds of articles, and then you know someone like then then guys like Zach or or Bo or Shield. And like again, that's not a knock in any way. Like he's very he's he's very plugged in reporter. He gets good info and he reports what he hears. And oftentimes it's negative. You don't see negative reports um, in this kind of style often coming from guys like Zach Bo or Shield. So, um, although they are fairly critical of the team, of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. So they're very they're critical of like the, the roster moves that are yeah. made. But I'm talking about yes, like, I agree. You know, I'm like, just like, I want to put like that a, distinction like a in piece, there. A piece like this that's like that's like you know heavy on reporting as opposed to opinion. Yeah, that's re- that like really puts the organization you know in a bad light. And also like you know Lurie really likes. All three of those guys, like I know that, like he likes Zach and Bo and and Shield. Like those are three guys that he likes. So, um, you know, I don't know that the the organization is like super fond of you know Jeff McLean. So, like you know, the the idea, like so for a piece like this to come out from those three guys, I think maybe is more impactful to to the team itself. I don't know if they'll necessarily reflect and think, well, maybe we should make changes because of this article that came out, but. Um, <laughs> Or if they'll be, what do you mean by reactive? By the way, like, like just, as opposed to reflective. Well, I said to kind of just like taking it and being like, like reflecting and understanding and taking action, or reactive and kind of just like, like scoffing at it or being like, how, or how dare you? <laughs> okay. like, like, we're above this, or like this isn't anything, or, or um, maybe too extreme. I don't know. My gut is that they'll probably react a little bit more defensively than they will to sort of reflect on it and you know make changes that's a good way to put it defensive like get defensive about it i I think they're probably more apt to be defensive about it than reflective so with that said i wanted to pose the question like what's your confidence level in this front office being able to turn things around on a scale of one to ten i want to gauge where you're at i'm i'm gonna guess it's not a ten but i I it's not i I want to gauge it yeah so like i don't think howie roseman should have been able to keep his job before you know when this offseason being when the when the you know, the end of the last season or when the, when the season last year ended, so I thought like it was pretty clear, like he should not still be the GM. And then it became very clear that he's going to be the GM for the foreseeable future. And I think that the relationship between he and Lurie and like the way that Lurie answered those, and this, this piece touched on this too, the way that he answered questions in his season ending press conference, like he was like surprised that he was getting all these questions about Howie and like his, his continued, uh, job tenure at, at the general manager position. 
and I think that's a huge problem that he can't recognize that like they've had horrible off seasons in each of the last three years. And they, they're, they're as worse off a team in the NFL right now as any, except maybe the Houston Texans. Like they're worse off than like any other team in the NFL in terms of roster, money to spend, young players versus old players, etc. So like the idea that they are so locked in with the top two people in the organization being Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and the idea that that's not going to change anytime soon, I think is extremely alarming. And you're saying like on a scale of one yeah. to ten, like how confident am I? Two? <laughs> I was going to say three, and I felt generous with that. Because there's like a path where, let's say, Deshaun Watson gets cleared. And then like they trade for mm-hmm. him at a low cost. And then let's say Nick Sirianni turns out to be a really good head coach. And, you know, there's, there's a path here where like... They, they have 20 picks in the next two years. What if they hit on some they of those guys? Picks. So there, there, are, there are paths to success for sure. Mm-hmm. But just as far as like the, the structure of the, of the, you know, the maybe two is probably a little harsh because there are teams that are like way worse run than, you know, anything that we've seen here. But I think just, I think what, what you know, as far as like what fans of the city that care so much more than many other cities across the NFL. Like, I think the expectation should be higher that they're putting like, the best possible product, like putting themselves in the position to have the best possible product going forward. I think it's very low. Me too is probably a little harsh. I would probably bump it up to a three with you. All right. Jimmy, lay it <laughs> on me. Yes. Kristen Roach, Roach Realtors. Oh, yes. Uh, how about if I just uh, sing with my daughter? Kristen Rocha, Roach Realtors, Roach Realtors, Roach Realtors. Kristen Rocha, Roach Realtors. She's the greatest. 856-906-9295. Back here on BGN Radio for our final segment. I feel like it's a good podcast so far, Jimmy. You know, I mean, all of them are good, let's be real. But this one's especially good. But let's make it even better by talking about some Eagles draft talk. I mean, what? We're less than two weeks away now here. The latest scuttlebutt, if you will, Jimmy, coming from the Watch athletics. Language, sir. Huh? Yeah, well, sorry. Yeah, I don't like to curse on the podcast. It's a family show. Uh, should the or, or the report is coming from the Athletics Ben Standig saying that um, the Eagles are looking to move back into the top ten. What's your thoughts on that? Ben Standig uh, is um, a two-time Huddle Report mock draft champion, so he does get information, I would assume, uh, on draft matters. So uh, you know. Worth noting that uh, anything that he says. So, yeah, uh, the idea of them moving back up after trading out of the six pick, you know, isn't super logical on paper. But if the move back up from 12 to seven, for example, I think you noted the Lions as the as the ideal landing spot for them at pick number seven. Um, I mean, if they're going to get a, a player like a Jamar Chase, for example, then. Yeah, sure. Go up and get them, but make sure that the move up, that the cost to move up is less than what the cost was to move back. Of course. So, like, you know, so like, if if they're giving up less to move back up, then sure. I I, mean, I think you know you, you still get the, the player that you want, and you make out with a higher pick later on down the you know down the line. I think that'd be fine. But I kind of had trading up as a low possibility. Uh, personally, so I just put recently put together like the Eagles' top ten options with their first round pick, and that wasn't necessarily like top ten players. It was, you know, just strategic options, I guess. With and I had trading back up it was a very low, I think I had like eighth or something like that. So uh, I don't see that as a very likely possibility. But if they do pull off sort of a what's the movie? Is it draft day? I never saw it, but my understanding is like they just moved around the drafts a little bit and they picked up extra whatever. So if like if if, there, if there's a scenario where they're able to move around and pick up extra draft capital and still wind up with the same player, fine, all for it. But if you move back up and you give up more than you than you gave up to move back, then obviously people are just going to absolutely destroy them for that. Uh, so if they move up to nine, let's say, let's say. There's a lot of different hypotheticals. Nine is what? Carolina or Panthers. Or sorry, okay. uh, Broncos are, are at nine. Let's say, like, I think teams are going to want to get to eight because the Panthers or the Broncos could potentially take a quarter. I mean, the Panthers could mm-hmm. too, but let's say they don't. Uh, let's say, you know, team like Washington 
at 19, potentially. Could look to move Patriots up 10 spots. Patriots at 15. Bears, 19. Bears, 20. No, Bears, 20. Yeah. So, like, a team could look to get up to that eighth spot, potentially. But if that's the case, and the Eagles can't get to that spot, well, then maybe nine becomes more available. Because maybe a quarterback is there that the Broncos would have taken at nine. But they're like, yeah, he's not there now. So, we're fine yeah. to move him back a couple picks because we can probably get a corner still or whatever. And then the Eagles could jump to nine, let's say. And that would only cost about a third-round pick if you look at the draft pick value chart. It's like a, a jump from 12 to 9 is worth like a late third. Um, obviously, you know, it kind of depends who's on the board, how desperate. Uh, with, and also trades that are made before that, yeah, too. Yeah, precedents so like, that are set. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So all that goes into it. But, you know, just playing it out. You know, if there's a guy they really love. If, like, if Dante Smith there is at 10, uh, I would do that. I would make that move um, because I would worry about the, the Giants trading him or maybe the Cowboys trade down or something. You know, something weird happens. Maybe he doesn't get there to 12. I, if he's there... I would go get him at number nine. If it all if all it costs you is you're you're probably the the third you got from the Colts, which is like what eighty seven or so. Um, so I'm open to it. I don't love it in general. The idea of trading up just because the Eagles need as much talent as they can get, and they have what eleven picks, the most in the draft, and they should be taking as many swings as they can to get players. Agreed. Like like yes. in general. But if it's a small move up, okay, you know we can talk about it depending on the price. But uh, I think it's worth noting because Tim McManus also, before this Ben Standing thing came out, Tim T-Mac also uh, put out on Thursday or Wednesday that like there's another shoe to drop. And he it was like speculative kind of written, but it's Tim. So like I feel like he knows something and he kind of put that out there. Yeah, Tim's not like a BS artist. <laughs> like he's not just like, you know, throwing crap against the wall and then and then later saying, see, I told you. Like he's like a legit reporter, so yeah. If he's put, but I don't, I don't, I don't actually see what he put out. What, did he, what, did he, what exactly did he say? He, he, like basically what I just said in terms of like uh, there could be another shoe to drop. It feels like there's another but it was like shoe super yet to drop. Yeah, well, the article, okay. the premise of the article was about like potentially moving up from twelve, or and mm-hmm. or probably more or uh, moving back up late into the first round. You know, from thirty seven ah, back right. into. So see, yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Sure. Moving up from thirty-seven into the back half of the of the first round because I think there are guys that could maybe fall a little bit, like um, like a corner for example. Like if Greg Newsom falls into that into the twenties area, he's a guy I think worth going up and getting. Uh, I know that there's been a lot of reporting that the Eagles are you know pretty heavily interested in Terrace Marshall, the wide receiver from LSU, and I think from like I think what he is as a receiver sort of fits what they need, like Jalen Rager's your Z receiver. I think they need to, I think they need to draft a slot receiver later in the draft. Uh, but, you know, Travis Fulgham would be your X receiver right now. And I think they probably, I mean, obviously they don't like him as much as the Benz did last year. Uh, so, but Marshall would be sort of the, that fit at that X receiver spot. So he would make sense as a trade-up option. Um, but yeah, the the other report that came out, I guess, too, was from uh, D-Gun. Yeah. Uh, who, who said that, and you... You have his, his quote as my sources keep telling me the Eagles stay at the twelfth at the twelfth spot in the first round, and this is I guess sort of obvious, but uh, they will target a wide receiver or defensive back. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think like if they do stay at twelve, there's a good chance that one of well, I don't think Jamar Chase will be there, but Chase, Jalen Waddle, one of the top three, Devonte Smith, Patrick Sertan, uh, the cornerback from Alabama, or. South Carolina cornerback uh, J.C. Horn. One of those five guys is, is likely to be there at twelve, and I think you just take whoever is left over if you if you're just if you're just quote unquote sticking and picking, as they say. What do you think is the which which direction would you go? I guess like because there's I think there's a debate like wide receiver or corner. Let's yeah. assume and assuming like the talent level is close. I think that's the debate. Obviously, right, if one right. you know, wide receiver is way way better than you take him, but right. I think the debate starts to come in like okay, let's say the gap isn't that big. Which direction should they go? Wide receiver or corner? Yeah. So like if two guys are rated really similarly, then I think the tiebreaker for me would be to go corner in round one because I think this draft is super strong at wide receiver both on days two and three, whereas it's not so strong at corner on days two and three. Um, I still think you can get a very good receiver, you know, later in the draft. Um, that said, kind of think wide receiver is a little more important. Corners are harder to find. So you kind of got to balance those two things to do. But, I, but if, you know, all things being equal, I'd, pro- I'd probably go corner over receiver. But I, but personally speaking, I think those receivers are better like they're, I think they're better prospects 
than the corners. So I would take all three of those receivers over either of those two corners. So I would go with the receivers. Eileen receivers, okay. I think, again, it goes back to me. Just, when did the Eagles – like, no. I don't want to hear, oh, you can just get one later. The, the class is deep. You can. The Eagles have never been able to do that. They've literally never <laughs> been able to a, do that. A fair point. So why yes. are you just assuming like they can do that? Like it's so easy. I don't. Oh, they have a new coaching staff. Okay, maybe that makes a difference. But you don't just know that yet. A fair point. Yeah. And you could say the same thing at corner. I just I feel like again. I, yeah, I, right. You could also say the same thing. They, they haven't found any late round corners either. All except for Jalen Mills, which you know whatever. I think. They can get by. I think there's an argument you can get by with more or with less. You can you can get more out of less a corner. The Eagles did it. I've seen them do it with Jalen Mills and Ronald yes. Darby. And I've seen Jonathan Gannon do it with the cornerbacks he's worked with. So I kind of have a little bit more faith they could do that. And I still think they could get someone on day two that could be in the mix there. And I think, above all, like I just believe building an elite offense matters most. Like this idea that like you're going to stop the elite offenses in the NFL is just dumb to me. Like maybe you have a good defense one year, but you're not going to have that year over year. Whereas you could with a good elite offense. Like the goal to me shouldn't be to stop the elite offenses in the NFL. Like the goal mm-hmm. should to be to compete with be them, the to elite, be, yeah. the be the elite, elite offense yeah. in the NFL. <laughs> right. And I think you know a wide receiver pick goes towards that. And I don't really think I don't hate uh, Sertan. Or horn, but like I don't really think they're that like electric prospects. Like they, the ball production isn't there. They're not like can't miss guys mm, to right. me. Where I think Devonta or Devante, like that to me is just like such a sure projection. Like maybe he's not a star. Like you know, he's, maybe he's not Justin Jefferson of last year. But that's fine. Like I still think he's going to be like a really really good pro. And I think you know, for a team that has had just not the best you know hit rate and not the best like. Uh, like a team that you just don't count on, like to hit doubles in the draft, like that is a double, and I, I would take right. that at the, at the least, and I would take that. Um, it's it's a kind of a weird year. It's a it's the wrong year for like a defensive lineman for it to like not be a strong defensive line draft for them. It's it's unfortunate for them because I think that would be. Um, I mean, we'd probably be talking that about that as like the most likely possibility. I mean, you even had like Quiddy Pay as your top like guy that that they were likely yeah. to pick. Um, and he's, in my opinion, and I think you probably would agree, it's maybe a little bit of a reach yes. if you're picking at 12. So um, it, for them, th- like for a year, they picked the wrong year to be really bad in that they're just out of reach to get any of the quarterbacks that they really would have liked. And they're it's not a strong defensive line draft, either at defensive end or defensive tackle. So they're kind of left to take the best available of, you know, wide receiver or cornerback or, if you know, like a penny Sewell or something like that falls to them or something like that. But yeah, like it's uh it's it's not an ideal to be picking those kinds of guys like as high up as they are, but that's kind of just how the draft is unfolding. So we can put them in for Christian Barmore at number twelve. Okay, got it. <laughs> right. Let's I wanna before we wrap up here, we did our like, you know, most um likelihood draft last week. Uh I just wanted to get like run through our top five of preference, just like run through it. Okay. Obviously not do a draft. So who are your top five guys in terms of your realistic? I did not write anything down, but I'm going to go off the top of my head here. I can go mine top first five. to give you time. No, okay. Well, why, don't we, why don't we go one? We'll take turns. We'll go back and forth. Okay. So number one is Devontae Smith, because I think that's okay. realistic. And I think, again, he's just a baller. And I feel like this is a good projection. He dominated Alabama with like having – and theoretically better teammates or other high-end talents. And I just don't care about the weight thing. He's never been hurt. I think you look at – just look at him play. He doesn't take big shots. And I guess college football, it's still the SEC. I, I think he's my guy. My first guy is Jalen Waddle. <laughs> so okay. I like I like Waddle a little bit more than Smith. And I like Smith a lot. Like So like I agree with your points there. But uh, Waddle, I think, just gives you that speed element that um, – is potentially game breaking in the NFL. So, you know, give me an impact. Play- I mean, not that Devontae Smith can't be an impact player, but I don't think he's like a game changing player in the same way that I think Waddle will be in the NFL. I think Waddle, the like the profile of Jalen Waddle doesn't work out for the Eagles. Like that play, the high upside guy and like passing on the Heisman. I just don't see a world where like, oh yeah, the Eagles made that pick and it was the right one. So That's I don't think, I think he's like, it. see, I think he is a high upside guy. I agree with it there, but I don't think he's like a low floor guy though, either. Like, I think he's like legitimately really, really good no matter what. The injury. And his, his is floor, floor is still going to be, yeah. Oh, the right. Like the he floor could be, be, he could be, what's his name? Uh, 
on the, the Dolphins now, like uh, Will Fuller. Like, he could be, like, you know, great when he's healthy, but, like, he's just never going to be healthy. Okay. Or there's going to be a bunch of nagging injury issues. Like, he screams nagging injury issue guy to me. Like, so. Or like Deshaun. <laughs> exactly. So, um, Waddle's my second. Uh, Smith, your second. Okay. Yeah, Smith is my second okay. as well. So, third for me would be J.C. Horn. Okay. I think I like Sertan a little bit more than Horn. Okay. Uh, but it's negligible. So, like, and I probably shouldn't put too much weight on this, but um, I think the knock on Horn, like, the idea that the Eagles are going to, and actually, I, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but, like, the idea that, like, the Eagles are going to run a lot more zone defense and Horn didn't do a lot of that in college. So it's maybe a little bit of a projection to him, um, you know, filling that role um, in a stellar way that you would expect if you're going to take him that high normally like that doesn't like that wouldn't even factor into my thinking like you just take the best player <laughs> but uh but i do think there is something to that and i think the difference between sertan and horn isn't so great i think like sertan is the more skilled player at this point but horn offers more in terms of like athleticism and size and upside and, and that kind of stuff um but I, I would probably go sertan at this point over horn uh, Horn's athletic. So four, four would be Horn for me. <laughs> would Sertan be four for exactly, you? Exactly, yeah. So we're just yeah, flipped okay. here. Uh, like, Horn's athleticism is insane. It's like he's like the most athletic cornerback that mm-hmm. like that the relative athletic score uh, at MathBomb on Twitter has tracked. Like, that's just really intriguing to me. Number five, who do you have? I, uh, I'd probably go <laughs> – I'd probably go Sewell at five. Mm. Um, you know, lock up the premium position – and Jordan Mailata then becomes your swing tackle. I trade Andre Dillard for whatever. And uh, I just, in theory, am set at that position uh, for the foreseeable future. I don't have, like, a, a one I love at five. Like a, Me neither. Like, yeah, yeah, I, it's I don't, I like, it's not a great scenario either. It's kind of like you could ask me tomorrow and it'd be different. I wrote Slater mm-hmm. down, Rashawn Slater, for this. Okay. Because I think, I'm guessing Sewell might be gone. And I think Slater might be there. Um, I don't love the idea of getting an offensive lineman, but he's five on my list here. And the other one I was thinking of, which goes against like kind of my ethos, but uh, JOK. Of course, we're we're both under the assumption that Jamar Chase is long gone. Yes, of course. Yeah, I, this is okay. like realistic top five. Yeah, okay, um, right, right. Uh, JOK for me from uh, you know Notre Dame, Jeremiah okay. Owusu Koromoa. I don't mm-hmm. know. I just think there's something about him, and maybe I'm getting suckered into it, like the uh, Isaiah Simmons thing. I could just like I don't know maybe I'm thinking about this wrong but I just and I'm also I don't know I think Parsons might not be there so this is why I kind of have him uh, not there. I instead. think Parsons might drop into the back half of the first okay. round. Well, we'll see. But like, JOK just and and maybe I'm being uh, jaded because of his comments about Philly and he like that guy like gets it and has mm-hmm. big winner energy as I like to say. Um, but I don't know. I could maybe it's just like the Darius Leonard. Like his him Darius okay. Leonard is like coloring my perception of JOK, but I like maybe that could be uh, Philly's Darius Leonard is like you know like they draft JOK, he comes in here, he's like this impact linebacker, uh, like really good in coverage and everything, like really just excels in Jonathan Gannon's defense. Um, but again, like this is not me loving a guy at five. It's just like like he intrigues me a little bit. Trade back option, I think. Okay, or if he slips enough, trade up option, second round and the first round. Uh, any final thoughts, Jimmy? No, not really. I am uh, looking mm. forward to the draft. I think the draft is going to be really fun to cover this year. Um, it's going to be super busy from like my my perspective, like a work perspective. No one cares, Jimmy. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, it's my final thought time. But mm. uh, like, that's going to be. It's going to be like day three is going to be crazy. Oh yeah. Writing up. I mean, they have, currently they have seven picks on day three. So uh, that'll be uh, very. I mean, that's a seven. I mean, if they make all seven of those picks, it's seven articles at a minimum. So like, that's challenging and also kind of fun at the same time. But uh, yeah, I, I'm very much looking. The draft is really like the the only real positive thing to look forward to in this off season for the Eagles. Because you're talking about you know like firing the head coach, new head coach search. Uh, free agency where they clearly weren't going to be able to do anything. And then you have the draft coming up, which is like Christmas for any team. But when you have more picks than any other team in the NFL, I think that's sort of like the one fun thing. Even if you don't trust them to make the right picks, I still think it's the one fun thing to look forward to for this team this offseason. Yeah, because you can you can look into it. You can, you know, you can... Sure. You could, you could get it right. Um, 
my final thoughts are well we're gonna have a lot of good draft coverage here on the bleeding green nation podcast feed i think we're gonna do kind of more quick reactions and stuff first couple of days and then you, you and i right. will put together a long pod like we did last year once it's all over i believe for like that sunday or monday we'll figure that out i was talking to rachel about some of our draft coverage plans so a lot of good stuff coming up on that end uh, obviously you know bleeding we'll have the written content want to say that we've been having a lot of fun on the locker room shows jimmy just did one and i want to get one, you on one of those maybe before That's the draft Seamus. yeah with seamus uh, a lot of the bgn radio listeners it's interactive it's a lot of fun just okay. did one of those again you can follow download the locker room app follow me at like search my name brandon gowton on there give me a follow so i can like i can actually give a notification when we go live so you don't miss it um it's so okay you can shamelessly plug your twitter account it's fine well, I wasn't. It wasn't the Twitter. It was the locker room thing. It was the lo- <laughs> whatever. But if you want to follow me on Twitter too, follow me on Twitter at Brandon Gatton. Follow Jimmy Kemsky on Twitter at Jimmy Kemsky. Follow BGN Radio on Twitter at BGN underscore Radio. Um, also, wanted to plug the SB Nation NFL show as I usually do. We had Shio Kapadia on the Oddcast this week, uh, and I thought it was great. Uh, you can go check that out. I think it's actually on the BGN feed too, so you can go check that out. You should be checking that show out. Have a new thing in the works for BGN Radio potentially coming next week. Going to be an interesting thing. I hope. Uh, stay tuned for that. I don't and even know what that is. I know. Well, uh, we'll talk about it off air. Um, okay. I, I don't like to, to, you know, there's, I don't like to tease things too much almost because then I feel like it's going to like jinx it and then it's not going to happen, but hopefully it happens. Okay. Um, I think it'll be interesting. And right to sell craft jerky. Go to right to com. Discount code BGN15 for 15% off. Also, wildnaturepet.com. I said wild there twice. Wild, it's just once wildnaturepet.com get some treats for your pets in addition to treats for you at righteousselling.com uh discount code bgn15 for both of those and it'll be worth your time and money because they're good quality products that we believe in jimmy bgn radio listeners it's been great and we'll talk to you next time goodbye everybody bgn (laughs) 